This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Today on the podcast is my friend Letty Shoemate out of North Carolina. Um, she's a wife, she's a podcaster, a speaker, a historian. She is now um, working on a second master's degree. First off, Letty, why would anybody, <laughs> like, with, with the amount of stuff you got going on, uh, like, let's just jump right into that. Why Why a second master's degree? And uh, well, let me do this. Introduce yourself and then tell us why you decided to do something crazy, like get a second master's degree <laughs> with all that's going on in the world right now. Yeah, so my name is Wadi Shumate. Like um, Corey said, I um, do all the things, anti-racism educator, historian, podcast host. And I actually finished my second master's uh, last month, actually. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I, I finished it. My first one is in history. My second one is in conflict management and resolution. Oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I know, right? It seems like, why would you want to do that? And so many people were more like, why don't you just get a PhD in history? And I'm like, right. do you know what it means <laughs> in history? Do you have any idea, like, I have to sell my soul for six more years? Um, I could really yeah. move and, yeah, because PhD is another level, right? Um, right, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And now I think, my- I think... I think all the married folks are like, so you have a, a, a master's in conflict resolution. So like, what's it like to argue with you? <laughs> you <know? Like, laughs> yes. Yeah, so. That's not, that's not fair, man. You got, you got a huge advantage. Oh man. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, if you had asked me four years ago, if I'd be getting a second master's, I'd be like, nah, never. I would have hmm. never thought, I mean, I'm already in a ton of student debt, like, and I do mean a ton of student debt. And so I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> but honestly, it was uh, two years ago, um, around this time, I had gotten accepted to the program at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington, which is 10 minutes away from where I live. And I didn't know why I was being called to do that. I honestly didn't know. Um, Along with being who I am, like on social media and whatnot, I'm also a black Christian woman and I have a deep relationship with God. And Mm. so I've learned um, what the difference is between that, like actually listening to God and like wanting to listen to God. It's like, okay, well, you have to be obedient if you're really going to be about it. And so I, I was and I left my corporate America job, which I didn't care for anyway. I wasn't doing what I wanted to do with history at the time. Well, I, I was teaching at a community mm. college um, okay. part-time. Yeah, I taught, I taught history. On my lunch break, while working <laughs> a 40 to 50-hour work week at a corporate office in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I was like all over the place. And I was trying to plan a wedding. It was a lot. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sounds um, like it. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I knew that I wanted to do more with history beyond the classroom. Um, I knew that people didn't know how to talk about uh, racism and white fragility and white privilege. And I, I, I just noticed people not 
having the conversations and not knowing how to navigate the conversations. Hmm. So that's honestly why I went into the program. Um, and hmm. I left that program with much more than I thought that I ever would. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, like oh i'm just going to be a mediator or learn how to mediate learn how to facilitate learn how to like do the tangible stuff right but yeah. i also learned how the brain works uh, what trauma mm. is con- like mm. cognitive behavior like all of the other things that you need to know how to navigate and understand to deal with conflict and to deal with people yeah um, yeah 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 it, and, it, to, and, to, and to deal with racism right so so right? you you're a historian and a con- and you you know and you've got a master's in, in his history and in conflict resolution and I'm really interested when you talk about learning how the brain works because uh, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about uh, other than Juneteenth which we'll get into um, was how the lens of history affects how you engage with anti-racism education so you've got this this broad understanding of history as well as now a, a broad understanding of how our brains and how trauma works so how have you like how have you made that connection of like what's happening in the world with George Floyd Ahmaud Arbery um all of these the uh, Breonna Taylor and and all of the the recent uh traumatic incidents that black folks have witnessed against other black people you stand sort of in between our trauma and our history with this really fascinating lens like how how does that how does that affect how you view what's happening in the world right now yeah so wow yeah i <laughs> let me figure out how to how to start with that yeah first i mean my my brain is always going to first go to history um hmm. it just always will and i think that that's well not i think i know that that's what drives how I react to things that are happening, especially like seeing police brutality. And as of late, yeah, you know, like Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and so many others. Um, but honestly, I think about like, okay, I've seen this or I've, I've read this in history. I can make the connections to um, I, the slave patrols and how police originated, and my mm. my brain does all of the all of the historical work. It does it goes from slave patrols. It goes to Civil Rights Act of eighteen sixty six. It goes to like what black people endured after that. It goes to slave labor camps. It goes to the war on drugs. You know, it goes to all of the ways that we see policing of the black body um, mm. in, in every way. It's, mm. it's all throughout history. And, but then also with that, as of late, especially after George Floyd's video, which I did not watch, but George Floyd's video was circulating and going viral. More people wanted to have these conversations about racism and Black Lives Matter and whatnot. And I'm just like, right, this is, this has always been a conversation that needs to be had. This um, always, but then also, I think with that, uh, whenever it comes to conversations, I'm going to kind of go on some tangents here, but I promise they will all connect. That's, that's fine. <laughs> so, that's fine. But like, whenever people talk about like, oh, well, why don't people just resist the cop? I mean, just like not resist the cops, or maybe that wouldn't have happened had they not, or what have you, and oh, well, people shouldn't react like that. And it's like whenever you you study trauma and you understand how the body works right how mm. intergenerational mm. trauma works yeah yeah yeah, yeah, you know, yeah like you'll understand that 
there's a reason why Black people are automatically resistant to cops. Wow. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like it just, there's going to be, there's a reason. And that reason Mm. is because my great, great grandmother or grandfather um, were fearful. Mm. And the same way that we get genes passed down, like hair color, eye color, personality, that trauma gets passed down. And yeah. And I've, there's, there's a really good book. It's called the body keeps the score. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And I took some other classes where we were just, um, my professors were actual therapists and had practices. And so it's not like they're just professors up there just talking from a book. No, they literally have clients and they help and all these things. And so whenever that was introduced to me, it's like something clicked for me. Mm. And I was like, they weren't talking directly about the racism and these issues that I was thinking about right sitting in class. But for me, it connected. I was like, wow. So, so Letty, you just drew this connection that I want to make sure like we highlight because it's, it's like, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to smart people, they just like gloss over stuff. <laughs> like they, it's just so, so normal for them. Right. But I want, I want to be sure to highlight this. You talked about the origin of police. And right now we're having this whole conversation about defund the police and some, and you know, there's a whole argument against it. And I think, to be honest, I think it's privileged people who can't understand what you just said about the generational trauma and the history of the police. So could you make more of that connection? Maybe you were doing that already. And I'm, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I just got excited. Oh, yeah. So, so like, oh, if no, no, you... no, you are totally fine. I yeah. tend to go on like all these little tangents here and there. So that's totally fine to, to reel me back in. No. Um, I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, people think about the police and, there's this idea that the police have always been for everyone and to protect everyone. And like, that's actually not why they were created. Um, Mm. The police originated to protect white people. Yes. Um, Yes. And right. And people say, Oh, well, they didn't really become a thing until after 1865. Like that's actually also not true. Mm. Uh, Originated in, in our country. Um, technically in like the 1820s and at the time they were slave patrols um Mm. and Mm -hmm. they that's Mm -hmm. what they were period and yeah like they like you can just (laughs) this isn't like i'm making it up this isn't like oh no this is you can find this stuff um and then you know after after 1865 uh definitely after the reconstruction era of 1877 um, like once, once that ended, which was in 1877, I'm sorry. Um, you really start to see more of this policing of black people. And I don't want people to think that it was like wearing a badge and wearing a uniform. No, mm-hmm. these were white people in communities who took it upon them or, or took it amongst themselves to police black people. And we see that especially whenever you look at what was happening with like slave labor, okay, mm. that was happening after 1865 that was mixed in with convict leasing. So people want to put, put, put the two together. And I'm like, no, there was convict leasing. There was also slave labor. There were two, they, they were two things. And the reason why I say like they were two things is because a black man could be walking down a street, okay, and a white man come out of his shop and just say, 
you stole $40, $40. You stole $40 from my um, store. And the black man's like, what? No, I, no, I didn't. I don't even know mm. who you are. And then mm. what happens is when that black person is taken, because then you have this other like group of white men who are patrolling the area and take him to some weird, dumb, not even like just completely illogical makeshift courtroom. And they mm. sentence him to work for a company or a man, not, not company, a man who, um, a white, a white man who mm. uh, had a coal company or um, a, a steel company or a railroad company. And then, yeah, mm. there's, patrolling right like what that was and and then you also um start to see the the rhetoric and i think that's what people also miss is the rhetoric at the time and like the propaganda um of these um white women especially who are now like oh my gosh like we don't need to be out here amongst these black men and these black brutes and these black beasts and the white men are then like oh my gosh our pure white women are going to be attacked oh my gosh oh my gosh and so you start to see more police representation and i'm putting that in like air quotes police Mm -hmm. representation Mm -hmm. you start to see more of that and you start to see reasons to just throw black people in jail um And with that, yeah. too, it's just white supremacy's fear of Black people progressing as well. So then you also see, um, especially the late 1880s, early 1890s, you start to see um, Black people with um, successful businesses, um, successful careers. And then you also start to see, though, a rise of like race massacres. Um, you also start to see a, just anything to thwart Black progress. And... Mm. A lot of the time, the people who were doing this, um, they were plainclothes white people, yes, but they also were accompanied by police. Mm. Um, police mm. were, were looking on during the lynch mobs. They, they were not interfering whenever a lynch mob would go into a jail and take a black man out or a black woman out and burn their body and hang them. The police mm. watched that. They let that happen. So, so that's historic. Yeah, we're, so we're looking at not only the 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 history of police violence towards Black folks, but we're looking at the history of police being bystanders while Black folks are lynched, like we saw with George Floyd. We saw not only the officer who knelt on George Floyd's neck, but you saw the other officers who stood by and watched it happen. And this is American history, and this is why we say defund the police. So, Letty, you're the historian, master's degree in history. When in history <laughs> has <laughs> did the police make a 180 from their origins? <laughs> never. <laughs> never. It's never, it's never happened. So, so 1970 never is what you're saying, basically. Basically, basically, yeah, like it's, it's actually never happened. Um, I think what, what happened is things didn't become, or things are not as quote unquote blatant, but they Mm -hmm. are. I'm going to get to that Mm -hmm. too. But Mm -hmm. you don't, like, I I feel like it's, it's also a thing with people where if you don't see it, then it's, then it's not happening. 
Mm. And I think that now people are starting to see more of the police brutality. And I'm like, yeah, because we have phones that allow us to record these things. You know, they allow us to see these things. Not that it ever makes a freaking difference because they still don't get, um, they still don't mm. get charged and all these things. Right. Okay. But yeah, no, there hasn't been a time in history where cops did a 180. Uh, there was just a way that laws were put into place which protected police. That's actually what always happened. There are laws put in place that protect cops. There are, um, and then you know people would say, oh, but they're just doing their job. Mike, well, you need to read the new Jim Crow because they're not just doing their job. They're doing, uh, it's, it's not just this innocence. Like you, you know what you're going into and I don't buy it when people are like, Oh, but they're just, this isn't just what they've always been. Like I feel like cops have recently come this way. And I'm also just like for so many people to praise the civil rights movement, right. To, to, to praise Dr. King, to praise Rosa Parks, to praise, um, Stokely Carmichael, Julian Bond, I can name so many others, to praise all these Black people because they're feel good, right? Mm-hmm. To praise them, but also to not look at the other pictures where you see the cops beating children for protesting, right? Beating Black men, women, and children for, for protesting and mm-hmm. um, the fact that they were allowed to do that. They were allowed. And wow. there has never been a time when cops have had to take accountability for what they've done because of the institution of police, right? Like what it, what it, what it has always been and what's always been ingrained in that institution. Um, And this also goes back to a bigger point of, yeah, just like a bigger point of white supremacy, like white supremacy culture is this country, is America. And white supremacy is going to protect itself at all costs. And so, yeah, you know, something recently a young person said to me, but there are cops that are black, right? There are cops that are um, people of color. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. There are. What is, but what is your point? Because honestly, white supremacy culture makes room for people to uphold it that are not white people. And I think that's something. <laughs> yeah, white supremacy culture makes room for white people. I mean, for yeah. non-white people who want to uphold it. Yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, so good, lady. So Juneteenth, um, we're recording this today before Juneteenth, and you're listening to it. Most of you should be listening to it on Juneteenth. Um, I I gotta confess, I only learned about Juneteenth from watching an episode of Atlanta a couple of years ago <laughs> where they had an episode where they, where they were talking about Juneteenth. So recently, you know, not, not too long ago is when I learned about it. And I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there who don't know the history and know where it came from. And um, so I'm going to let you, the historian, sort of talk to us about the significance of Juneteenth, what it represents, what it means, and why it's important that we, that we pause every June 19th to remember this, this uh, piece of history. Yeah. So I also, Corey, like you, I really, I didn't grow up just knowing about Juneteenth. Uh, My parents didn't grow up knowing about Juneteenth. I 
really found out about the date. It wasn't even that I found out about Juneteenth. It was rather the date I found out about it, like, I would say seven years ago, maybe seven, eight years Mm -hmm. ago. But I didn't know that it was Juneteenth until like four years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt odd as a black person, like not knowing. But then I was like, oh, wait, a lot of us didn't know this. Like, you know, a lot of us didn't know about Juneteenth. And but yeah, just some history about it. I mean, Juneteenth is um, one of the oldest, like nationally celebrated by some black people, um, commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. And whenever people (laughs) hear that, they're like, Oh, okay, that's that's fine. But then I'm like, yeah, but listen at the issue with that though. Um, the problem that it it came so late, right? June nineteenth of sixty-five. But you have to remember that January first, eighteen sixty-three is whenever um the proclamation was given by Abraham Lincoln that freed enslaved people. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you think about this though. I feel like people don't really think about the 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 time between dates in history. And right. so I'm like, right, for two <laughs> years and six months, like mm. there were still black people who were enslaved. And of course, of course they were. Of course they right. were. Of course, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, do y'all think that white people were just gonna be like, all right, cool, y'all are y'all are good to go. Absolutely not. That's absolutely not what happened. And it was during the Civil War, right? And so um, it's definitely not what happened because you also have a lot of white men who are off fighting. um, And then their wives and their daughters are left with enslaved people. Mm. Um, You also have enslaved black men fighting for a country that would never fight for them many times Uh, because they had to do it. Like they had to go and do it. Uh, And so, yeah, um, mm -hmm. that time gap is very significant. I want people to understand that just because something is written does not mean that it happens. Yes. (laughs) You know, that's not what it means, especially with the Emancipation Proclamation. You know, people are always like, oh, well, it, it, it freed the, the enslaved people. No, actually, it did not. It right. Didn't. And um, so, even in even in Juneteenth, we have like the this idea, right, that we remember that America, even in doing the right thing for Black folks, have always kind of done it half-assed. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you know, I, I read some some stories where they're like, they don't know if like. Juneteenth, you know, because it's the, it's the last day of slavery, meaning that this is when the slaves in Texas found out mm-hmm. about the emancipation that was, as you just said, two years and six months prior, that mm-hmm. the messenger was either killed or Texas was like trying to hold on and get one last or, or, or some, you know, maybe not one last, I guess two, two years and six months, you got several last right. uh, cotton seasons. Um, I just think it's, you know, it's so indicative of of American history with, with black folks that like, no, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and like those, there, there are different versions of like what happened. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's not set in stone. But what I will say is it's, it's, it's much more, um, it's much more his- historically accurate to think of it as like 
they were deliberately withheld from the news. Mm. Um, Texas purposely did not tell, like the these these overseers, okay, these um, these white men who wanted to continue to brutalize uh, white men and white women who wanted to continue to brutalize and dehumanize black people. Uh, they did not want them to know, mm. and you have to think that for all these white people who aren't having to lift a finger to do their work. You're supposed to just be mm. like, okay, bye. Like, no, that's, right. that's, that's not what happened. Right. And so, right. yeah, there is a story about the messenger who was murdered on like his way to Texas um, with this news of uh, freedom. Another story is that um, the news was, like um, I was saying, was deliberately withheld by the enslavers because they wanted to maintain forced labor. And, um, and I say forced labor because... At the time, since they were technically free, it would have been considered forced labor, but that's what, that's what history books want to say. They're still in, in people, period. It, it was still slavery. And then um, you also have the part like what you just said about the um, cotton harvest. And I, I want people who are listening to understand that that had such a big impact on the economy at the time. Um, cotton and tobacco, uh, and rice. Um, cotton was, cotton is what built America. Mm. Period. Cotton is the reason why capitalism became what it is. I will argue that to the nail to the day that I die. And mm. so you have to understand that this also affected, um, the livelihood of the white people who had enslaved people. And, so yeah, there's different stories. I'ma say, and I'm gonna stick to the fact that it was deliberately withheld, um, because also you have to understand that enslaved people could not read or write, and they did not have access to go just get the news like they wanted. That's not how that that's that's not how that worked. And so that's why with 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 Juneteenth, it's very like that is what I see as my Independence Day, because. I don't see July 4th as my Independence Day. That's the Independence Day for this country. Independence yeah. on Britain. That's not independence for Black people. I'm so glad that more people are starting to celebrate Juneteenth because that's really our like that's really our independence. That's really our our freedom. And also, I say that because of the celebrations that in that um, newly freed um, Black people like had, like what they did to celebrate, like that was their celebration. And yeah, that, that is independent. Um, but also it's like, I, I still have such an issue with people who don't want to recognize Juneteenth, white people who don't want to recognize it for, for what it is. Um, I do believe that it's a holiday for us, for mm. black people. Um, mm. And I say that because it is ours. Um, yeah. Yeah. What what were white people freed from? Yeah, Nothing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what 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 is it then that you would say to white folks? Because a lot of white folks listen to this podcast. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say to them about Juneteenth and and their participation or not participating in it? Like how how should they approach it? Yeah, I mean, definitely understand. Well, the first thing I always say to white people is don't center yourself. Uh, don't, 
Don't center yourself. Don't make some posts with your face saying this long spiel about independence and freedom and black people in this country. Like, no, but I also not want to tell people like what to do because, you know, people are going to do like whatever they want to do, but I am going to, since I can say this on here, like, don't do that. Like mm-hmm. respect the fact that right now for Juneteenth, like this is coming at a very heavy time for all of us as black people. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I'm not a monolith for black people, but what I mean is like, y'all see what the heck we've been dealing with the last two months? We're really are. And I say that to white people who are listening because now people want to pay attention. But what I mean is like throughout history and I'm not saying that like you can't like recognize it, right? That like you can't be glad that it's being recognized, but don't try to take that, right? Like Mm -hmm. don't take, like don't be a white organization that takes Juneteenth and runs with it and wants to, with all of your other white people in your organization, have some kind of celebration for it unless you're going to do it the right way which is amplifying black voices period mm. i do also seeing as counterproductive is whenever white people want to hijack something that's ours mm. um mm. that's that's dangerous to me and i've been very glad though to see a lot more posts on social media about juneteenth i will say that i'm very happy that more white people want to know what it is um they want to understand the history and what i will say to white people who are listening to this is with understanding the date and the holiday um because it needs to be it should be a federal holiday (laughs) Um, but to understand it you also have to understand all the other history, like all the other history that goes into why it's so important. You have to understand that um, this celebration was not just like, oh, okay, it's time to celebrate this. No, this was, this was huge. Yeah. Um, this was like the, the hope, right? This, this was the, these were the dreams coming true for so many black people, especially the still then enslaved black people in Texas, you know, think about that on a human, you know, just on a personal level, think about how exciting that is to get to, to be free from something, but times that by like a million, because I can't even fathom how wonderful that must've felt. But in that recognize the hardship that followed Mm -hmm. the freedom of black people in America. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just uh y'all are free and now you can go and do whatever. No, white people found every possible way to keep black people um subhuman. Yeah. Right? Um, to this to this day. <laughs> I mean, to this very right. day. Yeah. Every way. I mean share sharecropping, right? People like I, I remember learning about sharecropping growing up and now I want to go burn every book that told me about it because it was completely wrong Mm -hmm. you know there's this idea of sharecropping and oh okay well um why don't you just work and then you can have part of the land and we'll give you your share of the money and your cut and we'll be good that's absolutely not at all what happened Mm that's not what happened you Mm -hmm. had people black people who were going back to work on the same land that they were enslaved on the same land they saw their sons and daughters and mothers and fathers and husbands and wives getting whipped on 
the same land. Now they're going back to that to work for freedom or for, I mean, cause, cause now they're, they're free. The trauma that that caused. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. For people to, to just understand that that's why Juneteenth is so important to us because of what we had to endure after June 19th, 1865. So how, so how do we celebrate um, independence, liberation as Black folks, knowing that it's still yet to come in its full fruition for us? We're, we're still living in um, an anti-Black America. I mean, we, we're seeing this in front of us. And, no, you know, that's... That to me is is not debatable. I mean, what that looks like and, and all of the ways that that presents itself. Like, what what? How do we hold both things true? We hold that it is better than it was in eighteen sixty five, but it's still not what we hope, dream, press, teach, demonstrate for it to be. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, that was good. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, we're, yeah, it's, we're not in 1865. We're, we're not in 1921, right? We're, we're not 1954. And it's so easy for people to say that and just be like, Oh, well, you should be glad that things are right. better. Right. And I'm just like, y'all, they're, they've just only evolved. Yes. Are there, like, can I go out here and work in a place where there are white people and black people and other people of color? Yes, sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, depends on who's hiring, right? Mm -hmm. Depends on um, whose son or daughter um, who's white right. has a step above me. Right. Um, there's all of, and I, I believe, too, it's because history is romanticized. And so people see this blatant racism, right, of like um, the Klan and white um, supremacists who uh, beat and lynch black people. And they, they see these images. They think that that's what the problem was. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm. And I'm like, no, that's not it. Uh, systemic and institutional race, racism is the problem. Um, institutional like white supremacy, that is the problem. Yeah. And both of those have always been here. And so that's why whenever people say these things to me about how far we've come, I guess I will say that we, we have come far. You're absolutely right. We have come far. My dad was born in 1945. And uh, whenever he was 18, he literally could not go vote. Mm. Um, and even after the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, he still couldn't vote. Uh, won't get into that today and how states' rights work, but um, <laughs> but I, I'm just like, yes, can my parents go and vote today? Yes, they can. But if my parents, who are both Black, go and um, like they can't drive themselves right to their polling place and their polling place has now been changed and they need a, a, a new ID to, to vote. And they didn't know that because they didn't have access to this information and now they can't vote. Oh yeah. They, they can vote, but they can't 
because of the systems that are put in place, redlining, gerrymandering, you know, these things are put in place where that are purposely established to continue to, to disenfranchise black people, mm-hmm. um, to thwart our success the same way that you see Tulsa, Oklahoma and the race massacre that happened there. That hasn't changed y'all. Uh, it's just not as overt as it used to be. Yeah. But we still have things like in environmental racism. We still have like we 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 still have mass incarceration, right? We still have police who are out here being protected by America to do what they do to black people. There's a lot right now for me, Corey, with anti-blackness as well. And the and I'm really glad you you mentioned that because it's very important for people to also start recognizing what anti-blackness is. Mm. and how that goes hand in hand with racism in America. So. Yeah, man. So much, so much. I mean, we could talk about this all day, especially with a historian. Oh, yeah. Right. But thank yeah. you so much, Letty, for, for enlightening us with this stuff. Um, there, this, this is the history that I'm, I'm so grateful that it is emerging now. You start, you hear more and more of this. You reference the 13th and the new Jim Crow and the body keeps score things, you know, those sorts of resources that kind of help us to understand the things that you're talking about and the effects that all of this has had on us as, as Americans. I mean, you know, I've heard it said we're trauma bonded and that's true. We are all trauma bonded by slavery. Both blacks and whites in this country um, have that inescapable history and yes. part of our, our lives. And, and we, we can't, we don't move forward from it by acting like it's not a thing. So I so appreciate you, Letty. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything that you like are working on or uh, is coming up in your world that you want to let us know about? So, I, and of course, everything will be in the show notes for people to be able to get uh, to connect with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I recently launched my Patreon, so that's up and that's awesome. running. Join, yeah. So there's that. I'm going to start uh, my podcast since Yuri Letty is going to start back next month. So I took like a break, and I'm glad that I took a break now with everything that's happened. I'm yeah. glad that I did that. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so there's that. I'm going to be doing some webinars and workshops for people in the coming months. So. Okay. Uh, Definitely keep an eye out for all those things. Perfect. So y'all make sure to uh, go to the show notes so you can connect with her Patreon, her social media, so that you can um, really stay connected with Letty, especially those of you who uh, want to know more about the history. Because I get asked all the time about what can I do, where, where are the resources. I'm bringing you a resource right now uh, with Letty <laughs> Shoemate. So Letty, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Corey. Well, folks, thanks for uh, listening to that episode. Um, I'd like to thank Comfort Fit for the music. The song that you were listening to is called Sorry. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. You are literally helping us to make all of this happen. Um, Thank you for those of you who have rated, reviewed, shared, um, subscribed to the podcast. And I want to thank all of you collectively for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.